Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, we are here for episode 300, and you, my friend, are repping the podcast strong with a day two appearance in the sealed MCQ. That's right. Yeah. What is it? The ABCDEFQ, I think, is what we decided to call it. I had a brief moment of panic before I said what it was, (laughs) and I was pretty sure I landed on the right letters. I, I don't know what are, I think they just call it like qualifier weekend now, but I'm like, what does it cue? What letters does it cue you for? Um, yeah, I, I mean, first of all, burying the lead there, I was waiting for the not just another episode of Lords of Limited, but episode 300, baby. Episode? We did it for, for Sparta. We did it for Sparta. <laughs> Perfect attendance on my end, close to perfect attendance on your end. I will be celebrating episode 300 in three weeks, as Ben and I <laughs> Ben and I took uh, attendance last night on his stream of which episodes I had missed. But yeah, very impressive. I mean, on just sort of our end uh, on a whole, I would say, for 300 episodes, but also very impressive for you for being present and accounted for for all 300 of those. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and I am. Uh, I haven't opened up my my rares yet. That has not worked out so well for me. I would say, <laughs> in terms of doing that on the show. So maybe we'll. Uh, maybe I'll tease it with you afterwards. Um, but I haven't opened up my day two pool. But I did manage to seven one yesterday. I mean, I got a pretty strong. Uh, blue, black, splash, a little bit of green for a mask of the jade craft on Earth and a skyfisher spider, uh, but had like, you know, three good rares with Teferi, the uh, three mana, two, three soldier that when it attacks makes a one, one soldier. That's Sky a flyer. Strike soldier. You got another name. Of your Thank cards, you. Man. Thank you. I, I don't. I, I certainly don't. I don't even know the name of the other one. The four mana, three, two in black that when it dies, returns a mana value three or less thing from your graveyard to the battlefield. And when you draw your second card, you drain them for two um, and then just something. like gixian caretaker okay well oh that does sound right actually i was about to blast you for gixian something but i think you got there with uh with the caretaker and just like a good curve lots of removal triple overwhelming remorse the spider a power stone fracture um all that good stuff and i thought i was i thought i was like this is like an above average pool for this format for sure in terms of checking all those boxes like good curve check rares check removal check fixing check card draw check whatever and then I was about to be out. I was streaming this to my Discord. I don't usually stream these events to Twitch, but I was streaming to a handful of folks in Discord. And I thought I was about to be out at 1-2. I was behind in game three of match three, but uh, my opponent managed to flood out as hard as I was, and I managed to win and then rattle off going from 1-1 to 7-1. So got my, my 20k gems, got my qualifier token for day two, and you know I, I assume... We'll we'll fizzle out in some you know glorious fashion today, but who knows? Maybe next time we uh, talk, I'll be I'll be PT or ABCDEFQ <laughs> competitor Ethan Sachs. Who knows? That would be pretty baller. I mean, got to play the games for a reason. That's right. Yeah. No. I mean, I'm gonna do my best and and fingers crossed for some little some help with the seal. I mean, it's just tough. Like that's. 
that's hard to get two strong enough sealed pools to go 7-0 or 7-1. And then play tight enough. It's a lot of things that have to go your way, for sure. Right, but play tight enough. And and on day two, you know you're playing. Like, even on day one, you know you're playing against people. Like the pool of people is probably a little softer than it used to be with just top 1,200 or whatever, because people can just qualify with the play-in points. But day two, like you're just playing against tons of people who know what they're doing. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so uh, I'm not uh, def- definitely don't don't feel like I have an edge or anything. So we'll see. Fingers crossed. But for now, we're focusing on episode 300, baby. What what a milestone! What a milestone! I just continually was thinking as we were leading up to this, and you know, planning for what we were going to do. It is crazy how lucky we got to get here mm-hmm. in so many aspects. And I think the luckiest is just you and I connecting and finding each other. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I count you as one of my best friends, and I. That's incredible that we've hung out less than five times in real life. <laughs> um, you know, I, I talk to you every single week. I've talked to you every single week for the past you know, five and a half years that we both dove in. I mean, the thing to sort of remember is if you know, we wouldn't have gotten here if we weren't lucky, right? The podcast would have fizzled out after 15, 20 episodes. Like we would have been like, ah, it's probably, this isn't working out or whatever. This is, you know, would have been too much work for you or we weren't, whatever, weren't vibing. But, you know, luck is the perfect thing to describe, I think, how we got here. Well, Well, and also, I think we should shout out listeners because we wouldn't be here without our listeners or the Patreon or anything like that also, right? I mean, certainly initially, like through the first 100, 150 episodes, like I think we would have done it regardless of what was happening. But I think, you know, listeners pushing us to start a Patreon and the Patreon being supported is part of the reason that it's able to have gone this distance to 300. I mean, certainly when I had to stop editing and you had to start editing, this wouldn't have happened without tons and oodles and oodles of listener support. And we say, you know, that we can't say thank you enough every week, but we really do mean it from the bottom of our hearts. Yeah, I know. I know it sounds like a script or a rote thing, but like it's it's there for a reason because that's how we feel. I think that's a really good transition to to doing a couple of our little housekeeping things because I wanted to really shout out our Patreon page this week. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where folks can go to get back to the show if they so choose. And this week, I sent out a very heartfelt message to our patrons. And I don't think I've ever actually made this announcement clearly on the show is that I'm having a kid in a few weeks. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Um, ben has known about that for quite some time now. And that is going to be, as it, it is for anyone who has a kid, is going to be a huge change for me and wanted to let our patrons know what that meant for the future of the show. And the, what that means for our listeners as well is that the show will still be here. And uh, Ben has guaranteed me that the ship will stay afloat while I'm away. And I'm planning to take all of January off, like give myself a full first month of paternity leave and then come back and do the show and, you know, write and do YouTube stuff. So all the the content except for streams um, will be back on the menu. But I just wanted to let our patrons know, and and Ben and I are going to try and record, you know, a handful of episodes in advance. Um, I think luckily this is like timed out pretty well before the new set comes around at the beginning of February. Uh, Ben will maybe have a guest or two on, you know, we'll see. Maybe, maybe we'll get, are we going to get a solo Ben Werney episode? Oh, not a chance. Not <laughs> no, a those, chance. Those are, uh, those are incredibly daunting, I would say. Um, but so I sent out this message to the patrons, just to let them know what was up and like, you know, that I'm very grateful for their support or whatever. And the amount of just heartwarming messages that I got back from people in the Discord, on Patreon, and email was overwhelming. I just felt so supported in this, you know, new chapter in my life and that like we built something that people were like, hey, just take as much time as you need. You will be here when you get back. 
feedback, et cetera. And lots of like, you know, parenting advice from one parent to another about, you know, you know, just get ready to lose a lot of sleep, et cetera. So I, I just cannot say thank you enough each and every week. And I really do mean that. And I want to welcome a few new patrons to the fold this week in Kieran, Thomas, Anders, and Matthew. Thank you all so much for 300 episodes of support. It means the world to us. Yeah. Wild to think about 300 episodes. Show is also brought to you in part by TCG Player, tcgplayer.com, best place to go on the internet for anything you need magic related. There's TCG Player subscriptions available for $6.99 a month, and you get a bunch of stuff for that. You get free shipping and tracking, so it's a no-brainer if you're going to order magic cards from TCG Player. You get extra store credit on purchases. Most importantly, you get access to CFB Pro articles, which Ethan, Alex, and I are writing along with a bunch of other pros every week, plus the backlog of all the old CFB Pro articles. So Tons of value there for your $6.99 a month. And we all know it's the holiday time. You're going to be getting sealed product maybe for yourself, you know, maybe a little Christmas gift for you. You're going to be getting Christmas gifts for friends, family, that sort of stuff. And if you're getting any MTG product, we would really appreciate you taking the time to use our affiliate link on TCG Player when you're ordering those Christmas gifts. My mother did this last night. She called me and she was like, you have one of those things, right? And I was like, (laughs) yeah, we have one of those things, mom. She was like, okay, great. Tell me the website. And I told her the website. So here's how to get there if you want to do that. You can go to lordsoflimited.com slash TCG player and that will redirect you to our affiliate link or you can just visit our website lordsoflimited.com click on support and there's a TCG player link that you can click on that will also take you to our affiliate link we would really appreciate you taking the time to do that for anything that you do over there whether it's buying product or getting on that TCG player subscription you shouting that out reminded me that this week I got a gift from one of our patrons who messaged me on stream he was like hey if I want to buy a box of bro and send it to you to keep for your little guy when he's old enough to draft with can I do that and I was like of course and he was like, all right, it's on its way here. Like I'm, I sent it to your address and I made sure to use the TCG player affiliate link. I was like, wow, win, win, win. Boom. Gift for me, gift for the podcast. You'll love to see it. Um, speaking of Brothers War, any updates? I have one, a big one for myself. And I know that you got to check something off the bucket list. I saw you got to meld the other day. I did. I melded Mishra together. It was pretty spectacular effect. I was a little underwhelmed with the animation and the (laughs) fact that my card was normal sized. I wanted my card to be huge on the battlefield. That was the most disappointing thing, I think. You know, like the planeswalkers sometimes are like two cards big. I wanted my thing to be at least two cards big, maybe four cards big. And I was not I was not rewarded in that way. It was normal size card. I assume that's high up in the arena devs uh, power rankings of what they want to be <laughs> tackling next is we got to make these three melded cards large. Yeah, but it was pretty spectacular. I also have domed several people out with Aetherflux Reservoir. I saved the deck from the New York trip and played the last two rounds out on stream on Friday evening. So if you want to see uh, me decking myself and then doming my opponents out for 50 with Aetherflux Reservoir, uh, that's on my Twitch VODs. I absolutely want to see that. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah, I have I've played Aetherflux Reservoir once and it was not a good deck. So maybe I got to check that out just to know like, what does a good Aetherflux Reservoir deck look like? Because I definitely know what a good Door to Nothingness deck looks like, Ben. You did the thing? I did the thing, and it was not a meme. Like This was just an actual consistent good deck. So I got Door to Nothingness, pack one, pick four, and like I should not have taken it. I was like, I recognize that I should be taking this other thing. Maybe there was like a horn stone seeker there or whatever. But I was like, I, you know, this is one of the only chances I might get to take this early in the draft and get to actually build towards it. So let's try it. And I did not see a single energy refractor the entire <laughs> no. draft. Because the whole time I was just like, I know what the plan is. Like, I just have to get a ton of things that make power stones and then an energy refractor to like, you know, transfer all that power stone mana into the, the color mana for door to nothingness. Never saw that. But pack three, pick five. 
I was gifted a chromatic lantern. Ooh, nice. And then this deck was just actually consistent. I had three Falaji archaeologists and two wasteful harvests. So these cards just like turbo milled towards this two card combo. And it was very consistent. One turn, I went archaeologist, find wasteful harvest, cast wasteful harvest, find a second archaeologist, archaeologist, mill three, but not a spell. But I did mill Phyrexian Dragon Engine, unearth that, draw three new cards. Like it just was going through the deck to find these two cards and even had emergency weld in case I was like put in a position where I milled both or like had to choose one over the other or whatever. It was a really good deck. I went 2-1. I, mil- I door to nothingness people four times. Nice. I, that was how my Aetherflux Reservoir deck was. It was very similar. Like, mill yourself and then have the emergency welds to get back the pieces you need. And we were talking about this a little bit. I, I Skyped into your stream last night. Uh, th- these self-mill creatures got on quite a journey with them. So I'm, I'm shouting out Phalagi Archaeologist. That's one of the blue one of the cycle, the one in a blue 03. Mills three, and then you can reveal a non-creature, non-land from among them and put it into your hand. Or otherwise, it gets a plus one, plus one counter. You know, you came in hot. I tried to temper your expectations. Then I was like, well, maybe some of them are good. Then I was like out on all of them. And now I'm pretty high on all of them, to be honest. Yeah, I have also gone on quite the journey and have landed on high on almost all of them. I think that blue one, if you're not counting combat courier as a blue common, although I really don't know that it necessarily is. I think Flaji Archaeologist is the next best card behind Combat Courier that is blue. Yeah, I think that's really true. I mean, what's it's so nice that it does, you know, fend off two power creatures in the format, you know, being able to block a, whatever, a Power Stone Engineer. I have definitely had my opponents play Felden quite a few times, the 2-2 rare with haste that can't block. And then oh, if you deal and you just get a blanket. And there's blanket with an 0-3 that drew me a card, you know, that's pretty sweet. Yeah, I, I do think it's a really strong piece. And a lot of those decks are about like digging you towards things. And if you subscribe too, I think the big thing is, you know, I wrote this article for CFB this last week. And the thing I said was, if I could give one piece of advice to people playing Brothers War, it's draft unearthed cards higher. You're not taking unearthed cards high enough. And that's what makes these cards so good. You know, when they, you know, except for the red one, which finds artifacts, but you know, when Philogia Archaeologist finds you a removal spell and bins an Arnorth creature, you're like, Organ Hoarder, is that you? <laughs> Hello? Hello? For two mana? Like, it's it's real. And I don't think it's that hard because I think, not that it's not that hard to get that kind of value, but I think you can expect that when you get, you know, whatever, four or five Unearth cards in your deck. And again, I think if you're taking them as high as I think you should be, that's a, a pretty easy reality to come by. Yeah, well, and also it can be a 1-4 in a pinch if your opponent's trying to beat you down with some three ones, which is also super relevant. Right, for sure. Um, so yeah, still loving Brothers War. I know you're still a little medium on it. It's not quite the magic that you like, but I'm, I'm loving it and I will be drafting it at least up until, I can't believe this is coming in just a few days, the Arena Cube comes to us for the holiday season for three weeks. And we also get an Arena Cube Arena Open this weekend. Yeah, that is going to be awesome. I am really looking forward to that. And when I heard that announced, I was like, uh, that's cool. But like Cube Sealed is the worst. Like day one Cube Sealed. How bad would that be? That would be atrocious. I don't know that I've ever done Cube Sealed. I feel like I have for some terrible events or something because they're just like, cube, people like Cube, right? But we, if it's limited, a day one thing, we have to have it be sealed. I don't know. I definitely have done it before. Um, but luckily, we don't have to deal with that. It's draft on day one and draft on day two. That is 
Excellent. That's going to be some high stakes cube drafting. No nonsense. You're the same arena open entry fee for one cube draft. Whew. Yeah, that's true. Right. Yeah. I'm going to have to put my money where my companion mouth is. So <laughs> before we were recording the episode, you know, I, I didn't want to do devote a whole episode to this, but I was like, you know, we should actually touch on this for our listeners just slightly. Um, we'll have a link to the, the article revealing the cube and the cube list if you want to pour over that. If you've played any Arena Cube in the past, it's very similar. There are some, you know, Brothers War and DMU updates. I think the last time we saw this was in the summer with Alchemy Horizons, Baldur's Gate, and some Alchemide updates. We actually did a full episode on the Alchemide Arena Cube update. That's episode 247. You know, what are, what are your thoughts, Ben, about people maybe diving into Cube for, for the first time or dipping their toe in for the second time in terms of you know, going for these high stakes for the dollar dollar bills next weekend. I mean, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but I think if you have not been cubing, if you are not an experienced cuber, it's going to be very difficult to get caught up enough and in cube in five days of practice or whatever to do well in the arena open. I think there's some huge hurdles to cross here. So I kind of almost think like if you already know how to cube, you're going to be in fine shape most likely. And if you've never cubed, it's going to be tough out there. Like I honestly think if I were a person who had not cubed or was fairly new to cube, I would be trying very hard to like force mono white or force mono red, like try to learn to force a couple decks like very well in the five days that you have leading up to the arena cube, because otherwise there's so much depth of knowledge and synergy and whatever to try to learn. that You just can't get caught up with people that have been cubing for enjoyment for five or 10 years, you know? Yeah, I think that's definitely true. But, you know, the flip side of that is you can prey upon their weaknesses by passing them companions, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, and I think certainly the best decks in the cube, if you really were trying to maximize your win rate, I think mono white and mono red have to be up there as two of the better decks available in the cube. I think that's definitely true. I don't quite know. You know, sometimes the cube gets tweaked. Um to have, you know, mono red is slightly nerfed or whatever, mono white slightly nerfed or slightly better, or wow, it's so far ahead. Um, there's more sweepers, there's less sweepers. That Those kind of knobs being turned in the cube updates do make those decks better or worse. But I think largely I would agree with that, that in the arena cube, those are some of the most consistent decks to put together. But there's also going to be risk reward with that, right? Because cubers are going to know that those decks are good and maybe there are going to be other people trying to force those things. So I think if you know what you're doing in cube draft, just draft a good cube draft deck, you know? Like that's yeah. my plan. I, I'm going to, play cube this week and I'm going to draft and I'm going to try to draft whatever cube deck I think is best that I can do for my seat. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're looking for some previous cube episodes on the arena cube specifically, uh, episode 247 and 248, those are our uh, touches on the most recent iterations of the alchemy arena cube. We've also got old episodes on the arena cube called companion cube. That's 182. But also we just have a ton of non arena cube episodes on vintage cube, tinkers cube, chromatic cube, an interview with Caleb Durward, who's a cube expert, all that stuff. So you can go through our archives on our website or in whatever you know app you listen to our show on, and you can you know scour for some cube episodes. And I think those will help you out or refresh your memory. Like I said, we're going to put the full list and the article about the Arena Cube open in our show notes, so you can access that. But just some quick hits on this list from going over it. Yes, alchemy cards are here, like Patriarch's Humiliation, the single white removal spell um, that deals damage to a creature equal to the number of creatures you control, and a perpetually loses all abilities. The standard suite of busted cards like Approach of the Second Sun, Sublime Epiphany, Embercleave, Hourglass Coven, like all those powerful like best cards in the cube at six mana-ish 
cards are in the cube. There are updates, like we said, from Brothers War and DMU. Some notable things that stood out to me are all three meld pairs are in the cube from Brothers War. So that's a little achievement unlocked thing you can try and do. But like Ben said, are you are you trying to be cute and have fun with cube? Or are you trying to, to win and spike the money? I mean, obviously on day two, you're trying to win and spike the money. Um, on day one, maybe you just do as many runs as possible. But I think there's going to be a little bit of push-pull, at least for me. <laughs> there's going to be some, some push-pull. Speaking of being cute, the five companions are all in there. We've got Gigantha, Karuga, Luris, Yorian, and Obosh. So some of the better companions in the cube, I think... Unless you are Ethan levels of experience with the companions, I would recommend (laughs) steering away from most of those. Thank you so much. That means I'm more likely to get past them in my drafts. I appreciate that. Uh, to, To be clear about the companions, I think I would really avoid Karuga because that's the three mana value or more one. And Luris, I think, is just too weak most of the time. I like Luris has fallen from grace and cube uh, a lot. I think Gigantha is quite real um, because it's not hard to make some sort of like Jund deck that takes advantage of, you know, treasures or tokens or, or, or things like that. A Jund sack deck with Gigantha is not hard to make work. But I, I think Ben's advice is right. You know, if, unless you're me, you, you can probably avoid these or just put them in your deck if they're good for your deck. And I think largely this is basically similar to Arena Cube iterations in the past with some updates like there are cards that are whatever the 20 or so best cards in the cube and you definitely need to know what those cards are going into the weekend and we've talked about it on these cube episodes before so go back and listen to the old cube episodes and I think you're taking those and you're building towards them or if you can't do that you're trying to get into a very open synergistic archetype that no one else is drafting and you're wheeling all the pieces for whether that's something like red black sacrifice or green white counters or blue white blink like the synergies exist powerfully enough at low enough points on the curve that you don't necessarily need the best cards in the cube to have an insane cube deck. Right. And there are definitely going to be times where you open a card like Sublime Epiphany, but then blue is cut and black red sack is super open. And so then you abandon that ship and go down the path that's the like, you know, less raw power, but more open deck. Um, But those are the two paths I find myself in in Arena Cube most often is find just like these raw powerful cards and build decks that support them or, you know, get past an open archetype and move into that. Yeah. And then I think ultimately past that, the best advice we can give is to prioritize cheap plays, like very cheap. The two mana mana rocks, the one mana mana dorks, one mana cantrips, the one mana hand disruption, one or two mana threats, really cheap interaction, all that sort of stuff. You need to push your curve lower. Like the the brother's war theory of you have to play to the board. That is almost certainly true in the arena oh, cube yeah. as well because the cards are even that much more powerful and clock you that much faster like it feels bad to take a card like knight of the ebon legion the single black one two you can pump it for two and a black to give it plus three plus three and death touch until end of turn and if the player has lost four or more life this turn it gets a counter at the end of turn i mean it's just like oh i'm taking i can't take that over this like awesome five mana play you absolutely can and you absolutely should like those good cheap plays are important. I can't tell you how many deck techs we've done for cube where people, I'm just like, what do you do before turn three? Like you, how did this happen? You can't, this can't be what your curve looks like. Yep, for sure. All right. That's our update for the week. That's our, you know, let's check in on brother's war. Let's talk about arena cube. It's time for some brostalgia, Ben. And I think we will 
we'll let our listeners go in a little blind here for what's happening. The only thing I will say is last night someone was asking, are you guys going to have guests on the 300th episode? And what, what was your answer for that? We have some very special guests on our 300th episode. We have some very special guests for you. So we're going to take a quick ad break and dive in to our interviews. Today's podcast is brought to you by Athletic Greens. This is a product that I've started using every day to improve my energy and immune system. I take it first thing in the morning, and even though it looks like a green smoothie, it tastes like a vanilla protein shake. So what is this stuff? It's as easy as taking a multivitamin, Ben. One scoop of AG1 shaken with water, and you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, and focus. AG1 contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals or artificial anything, while still tasting pretty good. With every purchase, Athletic Greens donates to organizations helping to get nutritious food to kids in need, including No Kid Hungry here in the U.S. AG1 is a small micro habit with big benefits. It's one thing you can do every single day to take great care of yourself. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com LOL. Again, that is athleticgreens.com LOL to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And now, back to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Wernie Brothers portion of our uh, 300th episode here. I'm welcoming to the podcast, long overdue, all three of my brothers, my two older brothers, Nick and Adam, as well as my younger brother, Sam. I probably would not be playing Magic without my two older brothers, Nick and Adam, and Lords of Limited and or my stream would probably not exist without the tech support of my younger brother, Sam, helping me order a new computer when I decided I wanted to start streaming. So... Uh, thank you all for being here. And if you just want to introduce yourself so people can hear your voice with your name, and then we'll get into uh, the interview here. Well, I, I get to go first because I'm the oldest. So I'm Nick. Uh, I'm uh, the oldest of the Warney brothers, and I'm a uh, lifetime uh, Platinum 4 player. So <laughs> you'll get all your great content from me. Uh, I'm brother number two. I'm Adam. Uh, I would not be playing Magic if it weren't for the Lord's Limited podcast. I played back in the day and fell out of it and... Got back into it when Arena and Lords Limited happened. I'm Sam. I'm the youngest brother. I still only play Magic intermittently because of my attention span. And I would say I only play aggro constructed decks or attempt to draft terrible aggro decks. You draft when we bully you into drafting. Yeah. I mean, every now and then, but I don't play on my own typically. Yeah, so we're just going to kind of take a journey through when we were kids here. So I think first up, and I think we'll probably continue the answering order unless people want to jump in with other things. Um, how did you find out about the game, Nick and Adam, way back in, like you probably started playing in what, 93, 94? Probably 94, right? I pulled up a set list. I, I think it was probably 94 or 95, Adam. I think it was 1994. Our neighbors and best friends had cousins that came down from Wisconsin and brought magic cards with them. And I played at, at their house for the first time. I think it was over Christmas break in 94. And there were flying demons. There were giant forest dragons. My mind was blown. I was hooked. And then we got cards shortly thereafter, I think. Because we have, uh, just looking at a set list, Like I feel like the first 
expansion that we had the most packs of, unfortunately, was like Fallen Empires. It was revised fourth edition, like Fallen Empires. I remember Ice Age very vividly, but that was a little bit later, I think. Yeah, I was going to say, I only remember Ice Age. I don't remember much else. And I think it came out in 95, so I would have been three. (laughs) (laughs) That's holy cow. That's right. That's wild. That is wild. So for the listeners, when Sam was three, I was 17. Yeah, we're all about four or five years apart for context. Four and a half. Yeah. So do you guys remember opening your first pack? What rares were? Like, I distinctly remember getting my first pack. I was in second-ish grade, and it was after I had my tonsils taken out. It was kind of like my reward for successfully having my tonsils taken out like I was a champ. (laughs) And so I remember getting a booster pack of fourth edition and a booster pack of Fallen Empires. And I think I opened a Sheevan Dragon in my fourth edition booster pack, and I have no idea, no recollection of what my Fallen Empires rare would have been. So do any of you guys remember what first cards you opened or first packs, anything like that? So I, I think, at least as the first rare I remember opening, was Goblin King. One red red, summon lord. It was a 2-2. All goblins in play gain mountain walk and plus one, plus one while this card remains in play. Forge the, the corner of my goblin deck that was my very first deck forever. And so like we're back in 1994. Magic is first coming out. Do you remember like how you learn to play the game. So these people came down, brought cards, you had the cards, but like there wasn't arena to teach you how to play or people that definitely knew the rules. Like you were figuring it out as you went. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. We have a, a Google doc and, and Adam has definitely given the best answers <laughs> in the Google doc. So I forgot this, that there was a tiny rule book that came in the starter decks. That's how we learned to play, right? Oh, absolutely. And it was not straightforward. I remember spending hours in that little cubby underneath our parents' stairs in our basement uh, where we had that built-in bed, like I'm sure with terrible posture, reading that little tiny, tiny, <laughs> tiny book trying to figure out what banding and rampage meant. That little cubby, i that is where I opened my first booster packs. I remember very distinctly that being the location where I opened my first booster packs. So I remember that, and then I feel like there was a three-foot-by-three-foot closet next to the unfinished part of the basement that you guys kept all your boxes of magic cards in. Oh, yeah. So we've got a rule book. We've got cards. You're playing games of magic. I know how to play magic at this point. Do you remember playing your first games with me at all? Because my, my recollection, and I don't know if this is clouded by the passing of time or whatnot, but I remember owning some good cards. And I remember owning some revised dual lands. And I, I now currently am in possession of none of those cards, I think probably due to the fact that we were playing for Ante back in the day. And for those of you that are new to the magic scene playing for ante was like you each have your decks and before the game starts you flip up the top card and then you play the game of magic and whoever wins like gets to keep the other person's top card of their library and somehow we played some games of ante and i ended up with no no dual lands it's right there in the rule book turn up the top card of your rival's deck face up and have your rival do the same with yours set the turned up cards aside they will be the ante the winner of the duel will keep them both Wait, so you have, nothing, you have nothing to say for yourselves no shame oh i don't remember that i did i definitely remember that i was by far the <laughs> oldest and i understood completely how it worked i maybe remember mom being upset with nick or adam for taking ben and my cards but i don't specifically remember getting cards taken So I also remember, and I don't know, Nick or Adam, if you have recollections of this, but I remember you not playing with me or you weren't going to let me play with you. Or I don't know if mom and dad said this, but 
I very distinctly remember not being allowed to play until I learned how to shuffle as well. So I remember going over to our grandma's house, Grandma Mary Lou's house, and like had a deck of cards because I didn't want to mess up my magic cards and was practicing with a deck of cards, learned to shuffle the deck of cards, and then eventually like was bridge shuffling with my magic cards. And I remember like being very proud when I first learned how to shuffle so that I could play magic with my older brothers. Yeah, that's very correct. And that did come from Grandma Mary Lou. So almost before you guys were born, we played cards at the lake house and I couldn't play when I was little. Grandma Mary Lou wouldn't let me play until I learned how to shuffle. So that's like <laughs> perpetuated that on, generations, yes, uh-huh. which led to a science project for Adam. Was that your yeah. science fair it project? My, it was one of my middle school science projects. I did like the math of probabilities from drawing cards from a magic deck. And my poor little goblins deck got shuffled so many times that the cards were all bloated and split. And eventually I had to get a, an auto shuffler a la Vegas. That is the only way I was able to play because I couldn't shuffle cards because my hands were too small and use that auto shuffler to shuffle my decks. That is wild. So we were running like what revised fourth edition Ice Age magic cards through an automated. Pl- it was like a plastic machine, right? You split the deck in half and like put them on each side and then turned it on. Like you press the go button and it like mashed the cards together. That is insane to think about. I remember that. And I remember the the deck that you used for that science project was just like the backs of the cards were totally stripped off. My formula was not nearly as accurate as Frank Karsten's. So were you were you going all hypergeometric calculator? No, I don't think so. I think it was pretty basic. <laughs> it was just me, lots of shuffling, and then being sad when I realized how many more times I had to shuffle for this project I'd come up with. That's hilarious. So we've got all these sweet old cards. We're playing Magic. I also remember mom and dad like around this time. So we've got decks. So this is me and Nick and Adam. I don't know about Sam because you'd have been really young. But no, you would have been in in on this because I remember you having some of these cards. This was right around the time where you could still get revised, but it was super hard to find revised cards. Like we at this point, we knew revised was important and like was cool because it still had the dual lands. And I remember the dual lands being a big deal. And I remember going, I think it was Comic Quest in Evansville. We found like a case of 10 revised starter decks. And I remember our parents rationing them out. Like we weren't allowed to open them all at once. So like I remember opening them like paced out and each one of us got, I don't know if we each got two or we each got one and then what happened to the last two. But I definitely remember mom and dad pacing us through this opening of this revised starter case that we found. I feel like I probably got less because I didn't know what it was. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to say that was 96 because I would have still been at home at that point. Like I went to college in like the fall of 96. It had to have been before then. I I would think this was around 95 would be my guess. 95 was when Ice Age came out. That sounds about right. There still would have been some revised decks left over from 93. Yeah. Fever was fresh. Like we were very excited about those things. Yeah. Like I remember opening some dual lands in those and like being super stoked about opening dual lands and knowing that that was a big deal. I also remember a big disconnect between like what cards were actually good and what cards we thought were good. I still have some of my cards from those original starter decks in their in their plastic cases. We all collected baseball cards before we did magic cards and so we had those hard hard plastic cases. I have a brain geyser still in a case. I have a fork still in a case. So, do you remember like the first decks that you built at all because I very distinctly remember from a kid, like being a kid, you know, I wanted to copy both my older brothers, obviously, as younger brothers do and be cool like you. The decks I remember associated with each of you, I don't remember which had which. I guess maybe Adam probably had goblins if his first open was a goblin king. But I remember one of you having a goblin deck 
and one of you having a merfolk deck. And then we were kind of out of tribes at that point. Like that was it for tribal magic at the time. And so I ended up with this derpy fairies deck with the fairy lord from Homelands. And so that was like my tribe deck to be cool like my brothers. I don't remember having a tribal deck. Uh, I All I remember is my original Holy Trinity magic cards, Dark Ritual, Hymn to Turok, and Hypnotic Spectre. I also remember playing against that deck. Turn one Hypnotic Spectre. Game over. Yeah, no fun deck. <laughs> I vaguely remember having a combo deck. It probably wasn't my first deck, but it involved Island Sanctuary from 4th Edition, which was a one-white enchantment. During your draw phase, you may draw one less card from your library, and if you do so until the start of your next turn, the only creatures that can attack you are those with Flying or Island Walk. And then a card from Homelands called Mystic Decree, which was a two blue-blue enchantment. All creatures lose Flying and Island Walk. And then Howling Mine, the fourth edition two artifact card. Each player's draw one extra card during his or her draw phase. So you still got to draw a card and you just slowly deck your opponent because they couldn't couldn't attack you and you had counter spells to back it up, I felt. Oh, and they were drawing two cards a turn. Yeah. So they were decking faster than you. I also remember Nick having a sweet stasis combo lock deck. Like, I don't remember how that combo works, but I definitely remember you playing against deck with stasis and Sarah Angels and me just being super mad that like I was dying to creatures that didn't tap and none of my stuff would untap. I don't know who piloted it, but there was some icy manipulator deck. I don't know if that's the stasis deck you're talking about or not, or if they're different decks, but that deck was horribly frustrating to play against. To go back to the original question of my first deck is definitely copying the tribal decks. Everything that fit in that tribe so that the decks were about 70 to 90 cards because <laughs> you know more tribal cards equals better deck i also definitely remember you having a very large very not so good goblins deck yes that is in my brain as well for sure so we've got these decks we're battling it's not like you can net deck like you can now or look up sweet decks so i remember getting magazines like called inquest and scry and they had like deck lists in them or the new sets would come out and the cards would be spoiled and that's what we would look look up prices in you know when we wanted to trade cards or whatever like physical cards you'd have this magazine open the magazine up and see okay my card's worth four dollars your card's worth five dollars that sort of stuff do you remember like consciously subscribing to those magazines and like looking forward to it coming each month oh definitely i mean it was right after baseball cards was when because I was, I had the mo- I collected baseball cards more than you guys, I think, and so I was used to those Beckett magazines that had all the baseball cards listings, and so Scry and Inquest were like a natural progression of that. So, oh yeah, I was totally into it. I'm sure I, I, I probably did some dishonest trading with you guys. <laughs> it's possible, but I don't remember. <laughs> Adam. It was like Nintendo Power back in the day too, right? So there was no YouTube to watch how to get through the level on Final Fantasy. You had to had to open up the Nintendo Power and read through their their article. That's all all from back in the day. Um, and like Nick said, we were we were baseball collectors before that, baseball card collectors before that. And our local game store was Dave's Sports Cards and More. Actually, so funny story, Dave's Sports Cards and More. Like this is a small town. We live in a small town. I'm teaching a student that is a grandson of Dave right now from Sports Cars and More. Last year, his mom came up and introduced herself to me and was like, oh, yeah, like my my dad talks about remembers you guys playing up at the card store all the time. And I was like, whoa, (laughs) small world. 
It's amazing. <laughs> shout out to shout out to Dave. I also have a vague recollection of reading about in the magazines the Sly deck, Paul Sly, like the first time like learning about a curve, like those distinct things. Or like I remember, I think it was Mirage. Like you know, Miro does those things where he posts like the next set's going to have these awesome cards. Like posting that the next set was going to have a one mana twelve twelve, like for the Frexian Dreadnought, and being like, what? Like that sort of stuff. Do you remember getting those spoilers and things like that? There was an early website called the Dojo. Oh, I've heard of that. I don't remember being on there ever, but I've heard of it. So I think that would have been when I was at the end of high school or early college. And that was like the original place where like deck lists got posted and like you could look at things like that. So I think that's where I learned those concepts that you're talking about was the magic dojo on the dial up internets. It is still on the World Wide Web if you want to go to it. Is it really? I just Googled it. Yeah. No way. (laughs) It looks like a very 90s website. (laughs) (laughs) So how did we start drafting? Because I remember doing drafts with the four of us, but I don't know. Like, did you guys read about that and then decide we were going to draft? Do you know how we started drafting? I'm sure I read about it on one of the these websites, but I don't remember the specifics of it. I think it was it's like you said, like I don't remember not drafting magic cards. Like, <laughs> I remember loving it when we would do it though. So we would do like four person drafts with us, like when new sets came out, like just as a new set came out. Like I remember it being a big deal, like we would each go buy three booster packs or for Christmas in our stockings. You know, our parents would each get us three of the new set booster packs and we would do like a four-person brothers draft, brothers war, if you will. They must have been so. To go back to Inquest, it must have been in one of those magazines where I read about it. They would talk about two-person drafts. If you remember, where we've done those before, where you like, I don't know, you flip over a card and you can take it or defer. Yeah, the Winston drafting. Yeah, so I I think I read about Winston drafting probably in Inquest or Scry or possibly on the nascent internet. Yeah, but I remember a very vivid memory of mine. So we had a a lake house that our family, like sort of a timeshare in the Warney family um, on my mom's side of the family. And we would go up there in the summers. And I very distinctly remember drafting unglued with all of you and a couple of my friends from high school. And there was a card called Cheaty Face in the set that was like a blue, blue, tutu flyer. And if you snuck it onto the battlefield without anyone noticing like it just stayed on the battlefield. But if people caught you, you had to like sacrifice it or whatever. And I thought the card was busted and drafted tons of them. And then I remember getting into huge arguments about whether or not I had successfully <laughs> snuck the cheaty face onto the battlefield. <laughs> when does someone catching you count as it having to be sacrificed? Yes. Was it within one second? Was it, was it within three seconds? Did I actually miss the trigger? You know, that sort of thing. I also remember having a very oversized version of chaos orb that i still have Ooh, the card that you flip to yes. destroy whatever permanence it touches i have like an eight by ten version of that card that may or may not have come into play at some point yeah for sure so we would also go to pre-releases back in the day like i remember doing them at game night and sports i don't remember doing them at sports cars and more actually i remember doing them at game night which was like an lgs in huntingburg the town next to us but i also remember going to like gigantic pre-releases at like the Indianapolis Convention Center. Like I I remember going to a Fifth Dawn, which was one of the Mirrodin expansions with the four of us, like in the Indianapolis Convention Center, like these giant pre-release tournaments. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, I think I was the driver, obviously. <laughs> that sounds right. There were hundreds of people at those. I mean, they were big convention center events, and that's how the Pro Tour qualifiers were back in the day as well, in addition to the pre-releases. Yeah, we all had pretty low DCI numbers. You guys both have six-digit DCI numbers, right, Nick and Adam? Yes, for sure. Is DCI number even a thing? I think they're abolished now, sadly. I, I don't think so. they're used for anything. I have an eight-digit one, I think because I lost my six-digit one. <laughs> well, yeah, Adam and I both have eight-digit or six-digit ones. I want to say mine's seven or eight. Well, and that was around the time we actually were all playing Constructed kind of seriously, too. We went to like a Muradin block standard tournament to try to qualify. That was like during the Ravager Affinity days. And we went to this PTQ and somehow only one of like the testing team of like seven or eight people we took actually took Ravager Affinity, which is probably the most broken standard deck in all of history. We were we were focused on how to beat Ravager Affinity instead of playing the best deck. <laughs> so uh, we're going to skip to this part because we broke the format. And I think it might have been Adam that came up with a deck, right? It was from playing games of limited at the lake that we came up with this deck that we called cosmic fury heck yeah <laughs> so, <laughs> there was uh, a card in fifth dawn called screaming fury that was not a good card it was a two red sorcery where target creature gets plus five plus zero and gains haste until end of turn and there was another card in fifth dawn called cosmic larva that was a rare it was a one red red seven six beast with trample but at the beginning of your upkeep, you had to either sacrifice it or sacrifice two lands. But there wasn't much instant speed interaction in that format. Terror existed in the format, but nobody played it because artifacts were... Everything became. was affinity. And I, I very much remember my opponent saying, huh, there's a 13-6 haste trample <laughs> attacking me. It was part of a big red shell that we used and modified it to include that. It was fun. We had our own limited testing team before that was a thing, really. It was the, what the four of us and, and your friend Brad. Yeah. So we took some decks to this tournament. I, play, I remember playing Tooth and Nail. Brad played Affinity. Somebody played a Death Cloud deck. Um, and we put you in the top eight with our Cosmic Fury deck. Made it to the semifinals and lost to the Affinity deck. Yeah, so that shows you uh, how, how organized we were. All five of us should have been playing Ravager Affinity, although we probably <laughs> weren't doing that due to card availability, right? Because it was hard to get copies of Arcbound Ravager then. So I guess I played, what, the Tooth and Nail deck, I'm being told, and that it was search through your deck and play big creatures and then attack their face and win? Well, and there was like infinite combos you could tutor up too, like that once you resolved and entwined Tooth and Nail, you could put two creatures on the battlefield and then combo out and win from there. I don't think I ever did that. <laughs> <laughs> was that Mirrodin constructed tournament before or after we did the Team Sealed tournament, before we had Team Bands with Brothers? Team Sealed was Kamigawa. Yeah, Team Sealed was the format after that. And I remember thinking that we had a pretty busted pool. We, our team name was Team Bands with Brothers. That was the origin. We've been to a few team events since, as Team Bands with Brothers, since the uh, the podcast kind of pulled you guys back into magic. But I remember having a blast at Team Limited tournaments, too. I remember us not doing very well at that tournament, like one and done, I think. But it was oh, fun to go. Oh, sure. Because we, I think we horribly misbuilt. Like, I think we knew what the good cards were and jammed all of the good cards into one deck that was still somehow kind of clunky because <laughs> we misbuilt and we just put all the good cards in it instead of making sure it had a good curve and stuff. Sounds like my strategy of putting all the tribal cards together to make a 90 card deck. <laughs> <laughs> So 
So around this time, Nick, like we were going to these team tournaments, we were playing constructed. You were super into constructed magic and just magic in general. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I was very, I played like Friday night magic, local game store. I wanted to win. (laughs) That's all I wanted to do. And you, I remember you buying tons of cards. Like you have bank in modern cards because this is when like modern was first a format and you and your friend Marcus would just buy cases of magic cards when new sets came out. We bought a case every set for like which is what six boxes. Three or four years, it's six boxes, yeah. And then we would open them all. We did not play limited with them as much as it makes <laughs> your list breaks my heart. Probably cry, yeah. And so in 2012, uh, I talked my wife into going on an Alaskan cruise. Wait, your wife went on that trip with you? Yes. No. Yeah. No way. Yeah. So you totally hoodwinked her. Well, we talked about it beforehand. And <laughs> so a cruise, have you ever been on a cruise? I've never been on a cruise. Okay. Well, there's days at sea and then there's excursions when the ship lands. And so for those of you who aren't familiar with this, this is the, the magic cruise. So what was that? It sailed from Seattle. So all the Watsi employees were on it. So on the days at sea... There were magic tournaments. So the days at sea, you're just like sitting around the ship. Like there's nothing happening except the ship sailing. And then when the ship docked, we went on excursions together. So you didn't totally hoodwink your wife. You just partially hoodwinked her? Partially. (laughs) And talking to the people that were on the cruise, this was kind of nascent Facebook era. I had a Facebook account, but I didn't like friending people because it was weird. But there was buzz because Marshall was on the cruise. This is Marshall Sudcliffe of Limited Resources. Yes. And so people at our, because on a cruise, you eat, you're assigned a dinner table. And so people were talking that, oh, Marshall Sudcliffe is here and Limited Resources. I made the, here's my, here's my humble brag. I made the top eight of the cruise tournament. With a modern deck, right? Didn't you do that with your modern affinity deck? Well, there was standard, modern, and limited. So those were the three, there were three tournaments and your placing in that put you in the top eight of the cruise, which was a draft. Nice, nice. It was a Innistrad, no, it was an Avacyn Resort draft. That's what it was. Whoa, that format was terrible. <laughs> right, but I think it was an Avacyn Restore draft. Did that get drafted by itself? Yeah. Triple Avacyn? Okay. For it sure. It was definitely an Avacyn Resort draft. So I played LSV in the first round. Did you dominate? No, he destroyed me. <laughs> and then I remember I, I didn't talk to Marshall during that cruise because I didn't know him. But I watched his match in the second round. And his opponent put an apple on top of his library in between turns. And like... Before he drew a card, he would take the apple and bite it and then draw his card and put the apple back on the deck. Oh, my God. And Marshall had a sick white-red aggro deck, and he was uh, mana screwed. And he just, he was like, he was very professional. That's what I remember. <laughs> very professional. And then I started listening to the podcast, and then I think I turned you onto the podcast. Yeah, that's when I started listening to Limited Resources and got super into playing Limited Magic. Didn't you also somehow win some something or other that lets you play two-headed giant sealed with LSV? Yeah, it was a raffle. Uh-huh. And <laughs> it was like a like a raffle, a pot you put into. 
and I got second. The first person chose Richard Garfield, and I chose Luis Scott Vargas, and we dominated Two-Headed Giant. And you told me that you still have like a, the Richard Garfield PhD signed unglued card from that cruise, yeah? Signed by the good doctor himself? It is. That is sweet. Yeah. So I started listening to LR around that time, and you and I were drafting a lot. Because I was coming home from college, coming home from grad school, we would we were drafting on MTGO um, back in the good old days. I specifically remember Innistrad quite a bit and drafting like the sickest black red vampires decks, and then somehow still getting horrifically mana screwed, or our opponents would play a turn two werewolf that would flip and just crush us. But good times, good times. So yeah, that was when I got super serious about Magic, and I think that honestly led to my love of draft, like limited resources and. Was just playing a ton of MTGO, and then that eventually turned into the podcast. Like it was all just happenstance. Like I just decided I wanted to start streaming. And Sam, I remember you coming up to my apartment in Paoli and like just literally setting up my computer for me because I was technologically helpless. No, I definitely remember those things. Like whether you were in late college or master's program, I don't remember. I distinctly remember seeing MTGO for the first time and was like, "What old?" magic game like rpg is this and you're like no this is like live magic drafting it's like oh my god it looks terrible and i could never figure out how to play it but i remember watching you and nick draft some i played innistrad some i think i still have an innistrad pack lying around somewhere from i think a prize from a pre-release we went to or something nice I never had the bandwidth or the time to do Magic Online. Unfortunately, that was pre-leagues when you were still playing. And um, what a great thing Arena is to like to be able to pull everyone back into Magic. I I tried to play Magic Online, and navigating the operating system took up like three quarters of my <laughs> mental capacity. And um, Arena definitely got me back into it. We started all playing together again, and I got back into Magic when you started doing the the podcast around the time of HOU, and then in, in 2017 when Ixalan came out. Yeah, and we've kind of idly been playing Arena. And I think as the podcast has gotten more successful, you have played, whether to humor me or what, but you you both have definitely been playing more. And occasionally we can uh, bully Sam into playing with us if we want to do a draft or need another person for a draft. So yeah, I appreciate you guys being on the podcast. This is awesome that we had a chance to do this for our 300th episode in honor of Brothers War. And uh, really appreciate uh, having you as brothers, doing our little four-person drafts. And I... I honestly don't think the podcast would exist without you guys i remember you doing the podcast i was excited to listen to it and i know you're a smart talented person but i listened to the first podcast episode with you and ethan and i was like this is amazing (laughs) these guys are so good like this would not have been on my radar as something that just like first take go in and do it so kudos to you and ethan i've really enjoyed magic since then absolutely you guys clearly have natural chemistry, and you're a good teacher, it turns out. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> At least for some of us. Nick and I will always be gold to platinum range. Ah, you just got to put in the reps. Got to put in the reps. That's what I tell my students. You got to do the work. I, if I get to a certain point, like I'm I'm no longer... If I start losing, that's I'm rage tilt. You're done. Still you, to do, this day. you do very much have a, a patient span. I'm like span. a... Like a a 40 year old man like why am i rage tilting about a child's card game but it does it gets me to this day so just to echo that of how similar we are i vividly remember to this day and this is not about magic sorry but 
Hearthstone, rather, uh, <laughs> playing constructed Hearthstone and getting to rank two, like four stars or whatever. And I was like maybe 10 hours before season reset and wanted really bad to make legendary and rage played my deck all the way and lost down back to rank 10. Oh, for sure. You and I had side-by-side PCs set up that summer. I remember doing that grind with you for Hearthstone. And I think I stayed up until like 1 or 2 a.m. long after Ben had gone to bed and he came down the next morning and was like, so, like, did you make it? I was like, don't talk to me. (laughs) (laughs) I think genetically, my my case of why me syndrome is definitely present in all four of us for sure. (laughs) Oh, yes. Agreed. The world's out to get us in card games. All right. Great place to wrap us up and we'll get back to your regularly scheduled Brothers War content. Thanks, Nick, Adam and Sam for being on. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. When a new set comes out, the thing that everyone wants is a tier list. The quick hits, the fast rules of engagement for how to win. And when problems come up in life, you want the same thing. Navigating any of life's changes can be tricky, whether it's a career change, a new relationship, or becoming a parent. Therapists are trained to help you figure out some of life's more difficult situations. Much like data for MTG, they're not the end-all be-all, but they're an incredibly helpful tool. I've recently been seeing a therapist to help me find some solutions for life's trickier problems. I'm lucky to be in a place where I have a supportive partner, friends, and family, but a therapist has been a great piece of that support puzzle. As the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online. Plus, it's affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. If things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. It couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Lords. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Lords. And now back to the show. All right. I am very excited to welcome to the show for our 300th episode, my older brother, Jevin, a.k.a. Link underscore two. If you are ever in my Twitch chat and you see me ribbing on him, that's uh, that's my guy. Jevin, welcome to the show. Thanks. I'm so excited to be here. This is uh, yeah. a dream come true for me. <laughs> <laughs> Long time listener, first time caller, That's right? right. Uh, so, you know, oftentimes when Ben and I discuss, okay, well, so how did you guys meet? But then also the question is, how did you get into magic? And we both have the same short form answer, which is our older brothers played and they got us into it. And so, but it's, but then that for that generation, for you as, you know, someone who's six and a half years older than I am, who started playing, you know, basically right towards the start of magic, well, you didn't have that. So in 94, what was it? 94, 95. I don't know how early it was. What got you into magic? What is your MTG origin story? Yeah, I was trying to remember this myself, and I'm pretty sure it was the summer before I went to eighth grade. So that would have been 94. I was going to a new school and was introduced to this kid, Adam, who was also going to be going into eighth grade. And he was playing Magic and he introduced me to the game. And I think he had some decks and we both played together that summer. And I'm pretty sure, you know, that was it. And I went hard at it after that. I bought like tons of revised. (laughs) But like, how do we learn was, you know, he taught me the game. And then we had the revised starter decks, right? Every starter deck came with that tiny little instruction booklet. Yeah. So for folks who don't know, there was like a little rule book. I don't remember what the 
the sort of spread of starter packs or starter decks was. It was like a ton of like five basics maybe of each color and then like some distribution, but not quite. It wasn't quite equivalent to three boosters or whatever, but but sort of like that. Yeah, it was right? pretty close. I think you were, I want to say you were guaranteed three rares or something like that. Because sealed used to be like a booster and oh, a starter right. pack. Right, that's right. The right. starter pack was like you could just shuffle that up and play with it, right? Mm-hmm. I think that might have been it. Maybe you messed with your lands a little bit. I don't know. It was a it was a wild scene back then, and I'm trying to trying to remember. It's like whatever an eight year old playing. Here's my question for you. Okay, so so the, so they came with this rule book that was the size of a magic card. Folks <laughs> trying to know like that's the the uh, width and length of the booklet, and then the, the depth was the obviously was thicker like than a card. Ten pages, twenty pages long. Right? It was like very light on details. How confident were you, or how confident are you that you were playing? Like, what do you remember any sort of rules that you were like, well, now I know that's definitely not right that you were playing with back then? I mean, you know, banding is one of everyone's favorite. Like, who knows how that thing was supposed to work? Regeneration, I don't think anyone knew properly how that worked. And, like, (laughs) I think we all, my like journey with, with regeneration went something like, there was the way that we played in paper, which I can't even remember what we did with that. Then we all learned Chandelar. Yes, uh, the original Magic Online. Where it dies and it prompts you, do you want to regenerate this thing? And you're like, oh, yeah, I'd like to pay or whatever. But that's also not right, right? I think uh, it was it... correct. I think that was oh, correct okay. as of like the original rules. And then <laughs> we all got like years later, we got into Magic Online, remember? And I remember screwing up regeneration the first time that I played because my thing died. And I was like, why didn't it prompt me? <laughs> To regenerate. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I remember someone playing ball lightning against me and then me killing it in some way and then being like, no, 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 you can't kill it. It's six points of damage that you can block, but you can't kill it. And I was like, well, that makes sense. <laughs> that, that sounds right to yeah, me. Perfect. Great. Okay. So you're go- going hard buying a revised pack. Were you, what was your like gaming? So, I mean, it's just like a totally different world six years before I was a teenager. Like, I know we played Hero Quest yep. in our youth. Yep. Or yeah, I think you and and uh, our other brother more than I did. Any other sort of like, I don't know, fantasy, nerdy, strategy-based things like that? I don't remember very well. I mean, there was like Heroes of Might and Magic kind of a game that I played on the computer, but no, not really. Our family played tons of board games, right? But like, yes. we didn't, I don't remember, outside of Hero Quest, I don't remember playing or being involved in like Dungeons and Dragons or anything else like really, you know, traditional fantasy, stuff like that. But Magic was like, because I feel like it's it's a big, you know, the thing I always say about Magic is it's such a huge barrier to entry. Yeah. And so it helps, certainly now it helps to be like, well, it's, you know, like it's a deck building like Slay the Spire or whatever, like Hearthstone, any way that you can try and equate it to something for someone to sort of get a hook into. I imagine it's just so much harder to try and do that from scratch. But no matter, hooked you, started buying tons of revised do you happen to remember like anything about the first packs you ever opened you know, that's always something people ask is like well what's the first rare you ever opened or whatever do you remember that i don't remember the first pack that i opened but i remember being excited about you know a bunch of those big goofy um monsters like shiv and dragon and force of nature and lord of the pit you know, just those <laughs> yeah, like sure. terrible, like th- these cards are terrible now, but mm-hmm. they were like the biggest that you'd ever seen at that point. I just remember being super excited about, about a bunch of those um, kinds of cards. 
you know, Leviathan or whatever it was, the giant, giant blue monster, all these things that had just incredible upkeep costs. Yeah. Came in, came into play tapped and never untapped, whatever dealt you seven or eight damage. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So you you had this, this friend who taught you the game and then I kind of remember, like, I feel like one of my introductions was going with you, our other brother, Aaron, and our dad to some tournament and being given, like, a box of draft chaff by, like, just someone in the building and just getting just a bunch of junkers from, like, Ice Age and Fallen Empires. But I didn't care because I was like, well, these are mine and I get them and, you know, but, you know, they're all horrible cards. But, like, so were you playing in tournaments? So we definitely would go, you know, they had, I remember going to like Wayne or something. This is in New Jersey. This is, yeah, for... so we're in New Jersey and there would just be these random tournaments at hotel, you know, convention halls. They'd mm-hmm. just have tables set up in these giant rooms. And I feel like it was pretty frequent, like once a month at least, that there'd be one of these events going on and our dad would find out about them and be like, hey, hmm. do you want to go? You know, and entry was pretty cheap and we'd just all drive over there and that'd be an afternoon of me playing some terrible deck <laughs> against people who knew way better than me what to do and I still kept doing it I don't remember you know how many times we went or how often it was I have many memories of going to those kinds of hotel things and then there was one big convention thing that happened in New York City. I remember going and getting my Shivan Dragon signed by Melissa Benson, my Tracker and uh, Aspect of Wolf and Grizzly Bears signed by Jeff A. Menges. And yeah, just playing in this crazy convention hall with a bunch of people i remember i told you this story about how i was uh i was playing in some side event against someone who had just bought a black lotus their deck was otherwise unsleeved except for this one black lotus that was (laughs) sleeved and then they like shuffled it up and you could you know obviously tell where it was and you know hey i'm about to draw my black lotus and all of this feels very uncomfortable to you know whatever i am 14 year old or something but like what do you do there's no judge or anything you could call <laughs> over it was just it was the weirdest thing that was like that, that still stands out to this day for that's me so funny yeah that's that's pretty icky for <laughs> sure do you like what did you bring to these tournaments cuz i remember I remember you having, well, first of all, we'll talk about your collection. I know you have your like binder still in front of you and you were, we were going down memory lane with some cards, but I remember sort of revering your collection. You had, and I believe still have full play sets of the full cycle of revised duels. Is that correct? I had, I did have that. I had all the, I had play sets of, of all the 10 duels, but I, I sold a bunch of them in college because I just wasn't playing so i have like i don't know four out of the ten still or something but um they're all the bad ones that no one wants yeah so i remember the the dual lands i remember i would like you know borrow some or maybe maybe sneakily not maybe not even ask borrow some to play with like my friends who lived up the street before putting them back in unsleeved for sure i do remember you having like a white weenie deck at some point with like tundra wolves and crusades and white knights. I also remember that we had what was the the magazine the duelist? Was that it? Or was it scry I want to say it was it was scry. I think it was just scry, right? Just scry. So there was a magazine that we got that you know it had like the mat, the pu- I remember the puzzles in there of like here's a board state like how do you get lethal or whatever. But I also remember it would have deck lists sometimes. So it was like that how you were coming up with decks? 
Were you just were you just like I like these cards. I'm gonna it play them. Might, yeah, that is a good question. Like I don't remember. I I don't remember what decks I would bring to these tournaments. You reminded me about the white weenie deck. I remember somewhat building that deck. I definitely remember when I got a pack of legends and it had angelic voices in it, which is a almost strictly worse crusade. It's like two white white. <laughs> for you know all your creatures get plus one plus one if you control white or artifact creatures so in a you know white weenie deck it's another crusade effect so having eight of these crusade effects is amazing um i remember adding that that card to the deck and being super excited about that um but in general the decks that i built and i don't remember if i brought these to tournaments but the decks that i loved building were around like kind of terrible two card combos. <laughs> so that's where I get it. Okay. Yeah. Good. Good <laughs> that's right. Like I remember loving this card, Gaia's Liege. It was like three green, green, green for like a oh, star yeah. star. And I think it's was power and toughness equal to the number of forests on the battlefield. And then it had a tap ability that t- could turn any land into a forest. And like forever. Forever. And so I just had a deck that was like, just try to cheese the opponent out and turn all their lands into forests. Like, I didn't really have another game plan. It was just like, try not to die and and make them not able to play their deck. Did you understand, or I guess maybe, slash, how early did you understand, like, the broken stuff in Magic? Like Lotus and Moxen? Because it definitely took me a long time. You know, you mentioned Chandelar. Even playing Chandelier, I was like, I don't get it. What's like, what's, why are these cards so popular? Why are they so expensive? They just are lands, you know? I think my friend that introduced me to the game understood it, but even still, I think he had like one mox. I never, I don't think I ever opened any or had any. And so I never really appreciated the brokenness of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely didn't understand at the time, like that these were a thing worth going after and trying to put in your deck. You know, you just talk about building these terrible combos. I remember, so we had a, a local game store that was like sort of like a sports card shop. Yep. I, think it might have, I think it was called the Sports Page um, okay. in our town. But they would have magic tournaments every Sunday. And this was about, this was maybe by the time I was in middle school, because I remember... You, I would mow the lawn, get 10 bucks, and then take that 10 bucks to the store and buy like a pack of Urza's Destiny or whatever, or enter in their tournament for the week. And their tournament for the week was, this was back when it was like type 1, type 1.5, and type 2. So when it was type 2, which is, you know, aka standard, I had this atrocious, this was like invasion block-ish had this terrible green-white life gain deck, I guess. Had four copies of Heroes Reunion, which is just green-white gain seven. But it's like the dream plan was, it was basically an Aura's deck. So it was like Quirion Dryad on turn two, Armadillo Cloak on turn three, put a counter on it. Now you're bashing for four, four lifelink. Turn four, put a Sarah's Embrace on that. Now you're bashing for the seven, seven flying lifelink. Boom. I don't quite know what Heroes Reunion was doing in the deck. But when it was type one... I think I must have been using Scry for this, but I basically like took your cards and built a stasis lock deck with like stasis and kismet. And I'm pretty sure this land that's called Undiscovered Paradise that I was almost certainly cheating with, like playing against other 11 and 12 year olds. But so this is a land that you tap it, add one mana of any color to your mana pool, and at the beginning of your next untap phase, you return it to your owner's hand. But I'm pretty sure what I was doing was like tapping it, like, untap tap it on my turn to like float the mana through phases i'm sure i was like cheating 
out the wazoo. It's it's like that was the way I was getting around the stasis lock was like, get that land back to my hand, replay it, etc. Yeah, definitely was not playing that correctly. I don't remember why I got all those cards, but probably you're right that it was from Scry or something else that it was like, oh, here's Mm -hmm. a cool deck. And so I went and collected a playset of stasis and kismet to like go make this thing. I don't remember that as well because... The things that I enjoyed doing were these silly Timmy things. Like, <laughs> do you remember Fungasaur? It was like, if it takes a damage, it gets a plus one, plus one counter. So it was like Fungasaur and Prodigal Sorcerer, right? Combo. <laughs> or Royal Assassin, destroy target, tap creature, you know, tap to destroy target, tap creature. And then, you know, something that taps the opponent's creatures. It was, uh, what's it called? Nettling Imp, I think, which like... F- you could force a creature to attack you. Oh, with it. yeah, yeah, that sounds and right. And so you would force them to attack you and then you'd kill it with Royal Assassin. Or like, I think, you know, seeing the success of Ro- that Royal Assassin deck, then I went to, there was this terrible red card, Spinal Villain. Okay, it's two and a red for a one-two that says tap to destroy target blue creature. <laughs> okay, and then you play with a Magical Hack. Is that right? Oh, God, that's the one that like changes. So changes... The color word or land walk word on yeah, a card. Yeah, yeah. That's right. It wasn't magical hack, but it was something like that it would change the color of another card. And so then you can make it blue so you could destroy it with Spinal Villain. So, you know, all these like just terrible, terrible two card combos. So funny because in my mind, in my memory, maybe it's just this like the power of this white weenie deck holds a lot of weight in my memory. But I'm like, oh, yeah, Jevin was really like kind of spiky and like aggressive or whatever but i'm not just hearing like you like all these terrible combos and i'm looking at our you know most recent texts where you're sending me <laughs> screenshots of you like abusing slagstone refinery which is, i haven't even gone that deep yet in brothers war and so i'm like oh I, I i see where i get this this uh this makes a lot of sense now oh my god um okay so you like me you, know, you played the game And I don't know when you stopped, if it was in high school or at least by the time you got to college and you were selling some cards away, what got you back into the game? Yeah, so this was um, like I didn't play. I stopped playing around senior year of high school. I didn't play Mm. in college. And then I went off and I started working and I completely forgot all about this game. I mean, all my cards were at home, so I didn't even remember that 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 I had them. And then, um, you know, it was like a couple years into working. And then my friend who was in a similar boat as me played Magic a long time ago, discovered that there was a play group that got together at work like once a week to go draft or something. And he was like, hey, we should go play Magic. I was like, whoa, cool. This game still exists. That's amazing. And so we basically joined up with this play group that got me introduced to draft at I can't remember whether it was before or after that that I learned that they had just released what was it magic duels or something for the Xbox this is not the one that's like the side by side weird Mortal Kombat (laughs) style magic was that magic battlegrounds battlegrounds yeah that was on the original Xbox that was amazing Yeah, if you're if you're listening to this, Watsy, I don't know how you make another version of that for like Steam or whatever, but I will play that in a heartbeat. That one was so good. No, this was like Magic Duels or something, and it was just, you know, very simple deck building and play against the computer, I think. I don't think they had yeah. online multiplayer. But yeah, it was just like brought back, you know, it was that rush of all of the feelings of deck building and everything from when I originally played and 
then here I was a grown up and I was like, oh, this game still exists and I have disposable income. <laughs> Sign me up. Great. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I got into drafting. Do you remember what set that was? I The first draft that I did was Zendikar. Oh, okay. Um, I did a few of those in person. I remember passing. I think I passed up Nixilis because I you know, did not know. I think I didn't even know rarity symbols at the time. So like mm. I read it was one of these like this card has too much text on it and I'm not in these colors so I'm just going to pass it and then of course got thoroughly trounced by it playing against that deck in pod but what are you going to do and then I seem to recall I think my friend and I that went to this group, like we really didn't enjoy playing with these individuals who, you know, like I sit down at the table. I have no idea what these cards do. You pass them. And then the person to your left is like, who is passing these cards? Why are, why is this still here? And I'm like, I have nothing. Yeah. Not interested in this, you know? Yeah. So yeah, after playing a few times with this in-person group at work, um, we got enough people um, in my friend group that were, interested in doing draft and so we organized a bunch of drafts by ourselves i remember doing it was like during alara block so we did in-person drafts of i think each of the alara sets and we all like really enjoyed was it the last one that had like basically all multicolored yeah that's conflux is that right conflux or alara reborn one of those like okay we played a lot just because we're all super timmy and love the silly multicolored cards played a lot of that and then you came out for one of these yeah i remember coming out to visit you in seattle and you had some friends over to do a draft and i was like i don't know what this is but like i remember how to play magic and i think you know i played the that xbox 360 game the magic duels or whatever and its various iterations and so it was like up to date ish on, okay, I've like played recently enough. I, I remember the rules, yada, yada, but don't know about drafting at all. The only thing I remember, and I, it must have been, I guess it was maybe Zen Zen World Wake, or maybe you just drafted Triple World Wake. But I do remember being past a Jace the Mind Sculptor. And this was back when Jace the Mind Sculptor was worth a lot of money. But I wasn't even drafting blue. I don't think I put it in my deck, but I was like, I know this card is worth money. So I'm going to draft this and give this to my brother who has paid for. For my entry into this draft um but yeah drafted like a terrible three color monstrosity with i'm sure like a six six seven mana base or whatever six 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 mana base and lost but that was what sort of got me back in i like remember going home and making a magic online account and and the addiction began you know yeah so i, I didn't realize it was quite so close to you getting back into it I thought in my head, maybe it was a larger gap between when you got back into it to when you introduced me to draft. Mm. But there we are. Yeah. And I don't remember where in there we got into Magic Online, not Magic Arena, mm. but like, you know, and oh, yeah, what everyone was calling Moto at the time, MTGO version two, version three. It was like not I mean, it looks roughly it looked roughly like what it does now. But that's not true. That was like back. This is back when it was like it looked like Chandelar. It had like yeah, the yeah, green yeah, backdrop right. and like, yes, the phases were on the left side of the thing and had those like just amazing sound effects that's true you're right you're ba, right, right. Ba, 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 or whatever like when you would win doesn't it, it still has sound effects you just turn them all off uh yes look i'm 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 anti-sound effects on all fronts I, I don't listen to arena ones i don't listen to the moto ones but yeah i remember getting into magic online doing a bunch of drafting definitely not being anywhere close to infinite on that 
Um, no. But yeah, having a lot of fun. I don't remember if you and I played head-to-head on there. I remember you built a bunch of decks early on. You had some people you were watching on YouTube or reading articles of. You built like a mono-red deck and things like that. Yeah, I would, I would go through phases of like, I would build like a deck, a constructed deck, and sell it back in a day because I would just get bored of it. But I do remember around oh gosh it was like some mono red deck that had hellkite or thundermaw hellkite and hell rider in it but i i forget which which of those two i think it must have been thundermaw because i was mythic i think i couldn't afford you know that was like a 25 dollar card or something and i was like i'm not dropping a 100 bucks on this thing and so i don't i forget what i replaced it with or maybe had one copy of or whatever um mono red there was some like dumb mono blue deck that i built one time because i i there were people that i you know greg hatch i always cite as someone who I it was a huge influence for me as a, a streamer and a YouTuber. If you've never seen Greg Hatch's Deck Tech SCG interview, you have to go watch it. Stop listening to this podcast right now and go listen to it. It's just like the greatest 15 minutes of magic content ever. But I do remember being influenced by like fun little decks, but you know, the kinds of constructed decks I wanted to play were often like ones that were going to win fast. Cause I think I was just like, I just want to like get in my quick fixes, but then I, I, I just couldn't do it. I can't, I get bored with constructed too easily. Yeah. So, okay. So, you know, we're talking a lot about playing now as, as adults. Like I definitely remember, you know, we would, you hop on a, I'd be like, Hey, I'm going to play some cube. You want to hop on a Skype call or whatever. And We'll cube together and you can watch me decide to blow up all three of my lands with Terracidon and then proceed to lose the game to a wrath or whatever. Do you remember anything about playing with me as a kid? I, I'm not even sure if we did play that much as as kids. I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. Like, I, I think we like both like I, I, you guys must have taught me at some point. But I remember playing mostly with some friends who lived up the street. Yeah, who were I mean, my age. I did. I am just learning today that you borrowed my cards <laughs> without permission. So you know, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Whoops. Whoopsies. Okay, that's interesting. I, and I remember Chandelier too, but I don't know if it was like there was definitely a lot of sitting over your shoulder watching you play computer games like Monkey Island or Space Quest. Um, but I don't know if I have memories of that for Chandelier. So. What is it like for you now or in you know the past few years to one be solely responsible for my addiction to this game but two to you know to watch the growth of me streaming to basically like you and some a handful of other randos to you know, laying the smack down on LSV in the team draft last week. How is that for you? Do you are, do you have any sort of like pride in that? Or are you just like, this is like very cool to stand back and watch? Or you're like, eh, whatever, it's just my brother. No big deal. I mean, of course, I am. Uh, I wish I could be the proud papa here. I'm, the, I guess, the proud, <laughs> proud bro. Yeah, I mean, it's been incredible. I wish I wish I could remember the exact sequence of events that got you to be streaming on Twitch as much as you were, because I remember egging you on at that and just being mm-hmm. like, this clearly seems like the intersection of all of your strengths and passions and everything, and just like you should just do this, and you can give me as much credit as you want but you know it was it's just been really fun for me to be able to be on the sidelines and watch you and cheer you on it's it's been super fun i join your twitch chat and i'm as excited as anyone else to 
be watching you do fun meme stuff or be playing against LSV in the in the showdown. It's it's awesome. Sweet. Yeah, I, I, I think you deserve quite a lot of credit in terms of, you know, getting me into the game, getting me back into the game. And that kind of championing, and I, you know, I, I cite this a lot of early in my streaming career, you know, whatever, getting getting tilty or salty and you texting me and being like, no one cares. No one wants to watch you feel bad about losing. It's not interesting. You like, we just want to hang out with you. You can't do that. And while I have definitely gone on a journey of, <laughs> you know, you know, it's easier said than done, but that's always that kind of feedback is always in the back of my head and and who knows it's hard to stream to no one responding to you and so when you've got you know a champion in your chat like that who's just like as active as as you were even in those early days that meant a lot it was uh, it's been awesome to have you uh, supporting me and now I, you know your you your interaction with me is now a running joke basically on a day-to-day basis. Happy to be the, chat. the butt of all those jokes there. <laughs> well, thanks so much for uh, for coming on. And uh, the 300th episode is a huge milestone. And it's awesome to get to share that with you a little bit here. So thanks for having me. This was uh, honestly super fun for me as well. Thank you so much. What a trip down memory lane. And what a trip. You know, Ben messaged me after listening to my interview with my brother. I sent it to him before he had done his with his brothers. And he was like, I'm halfway through yours. We just had the same childhood, like a thousand <laughs> miles apart from each other. It's so strange. Like, so you just listened to those two interviews. We did not discuss how we were going to no. structure those interviews with our brothers, nor had we listened to either one before we recorded. Those were done separately blind. And they are so eerily similar like even down to the generic like sports cards plus like sports cards and more (laughs) that was when i was like whoa this is too weird (laughs) yeah the sports page was my lgs and yours was sports cards sports cards and more baby yeah unbelievable and down to talk like the cards we talked about i did like stasis being a card (laughs) yes both of us being traumatized by stasis lockdowns no wait you were piloting a stasis i was i was yeah inflicting the trauma on the local youths but yeah, like talking about revised and dual lands and all that stuff. Like, I mean, you were, it sounds like you didn't have a gap, like, right? You just like started playing magic and kept playing magic. No, you I, had a, I had a personal big gap. I think all of us kind of did. We fell off around the Urza saga time and I missed like Urza saga, Ravnica, like shards, all that era of magic, legions, that type stuff. Like we mm-hmm. would do one draft a set usually of like those Mm. new sets like with the four of us with three boosters and that was like the taste of whatever set around that time i got but we didn't we played really seriously and then fell off around that time and then got back into it around mirrodin block and then never really stopped once mirrodin block happened gotcha yeah so i I took a, a larger gap from the the game for sure and then came back to drafting never never got to do the the four brothers drafts for sure um but yeah, it's so fun to get to like take that trip down memory lane to get to talk to it's I mean people who are very influential to our our current status in the magic community and I think just nice that that lined up with you know we're trying to figure out what to do for episode 300 and you know we're, we're thinking about well it's going to be around brothers war should we do like a brothers team draft or something like that but I'm really glad that we landed on this and got to share with our listeners. Oh yes, way better than what my idea was which was doing a spoof episode of Counts of Construct that would have been horribly bad. <laughs> I mean, it would have been funny for like five minutes and then people have been like, is this the, whole, the thing? whole thing? Yeah, it would have been terrible. <laughs> Episode 400, folks, stay tuned.
That's the one. That's where we'll do our our full comedy slash musical episode. (laughs) That's the plan. So thank you all so much, truly, from the bottom of our hearts for supporting the show for 300 episodes. I know there are many of you out there who have been with us from episode one from the jump, and that is also wild. Um, So really, really just cannot say thank you enough for your support. And in any way that you support the show, it doesn't have to be through Patreon, just through your downloads, through telling a friend, through sharing it at your LGS, through tweeting about it, whatever. That all really helps us. And and honestly, here's to 300 more. Heck yeah. Great place to wrap us up. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thank you so much to TCG Player for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over to TCG Player for any and all purchases or signing up for a subscription to get access to our CFB Pro articles, please navigate your way over there through our affiliate link at lordsoflimited.com slash TCG Player to let them know we sent you there. You can check us out streaming. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr. is spelled out. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later. Can I get a test test from everybody? Test, test, test. Beautiful. Test, Am I test, too quiet? Test. No, test, you're fine. Test, test, test. My test, little test. squigglies aren't very big. Yeah, don't hold that up that much, Adam. <laughs> and uh, Sam, you're kind of quiet. How about here? Test, test. My mouth still, is still in a little my microphone almost. I would say just leave it on the desk. <laughs> it is on the desk now. <laughs> okay, then yeah, it's beautiful. My my squigglies are like big up in my mouth. Almost. Your squigglies are all beautiful. Squigglies okay, are okay. beautiful. I, yeah, don't, I don't see my own squigglies either. I have zero squigglies. You're, I, it's it's working great. They're giant on my screen. <laughs> this outtake is going to be gold. <laughs> All right, ready for the clap? Yes. I don't think so, but three and a two and a one and and then you clap after the uh of one. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome. <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> two seconds. <laughs> the tooth pushed it over the edge. I can't do it with the tooth. <laughs> Pull it together, folks. <laughs>